the first thing I've heard people say is, oh my gosh, I have to stop eating this. I have to stop eating this. Well, I had better stop eating. And so <laughs> my job, what I like to do is show them that no, the food is not your enemy. Food is your friend. But food can only become your friend if you understand the benefits of food. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe, the place to understand how to navigate the healthcare system and learn more about health in plain language. I'm your host, Nikita Boston Fisher, a health educator with a passion for meeting people where they are. Today, our guest is Dr. Bernadette Paul. Dr. Paul is the CEO and founder of Health Savvy Consulting. She's a public health and nutrition consultant, health promotion and community specialist, a teacher, and an avid health and wellness advocate. But just before we get to the episode, I wanted to let you know that we sell candles here at the Good Health Cafe. It's a fantastic way to support the podcast. And right now we are having a massive holiday sale. Buy two candles, get $5 off. Buy three candles, get $10 off. Buy four or more candles, get $15 off. All this information can be found on our website, thegoodhealthcafe.com, or by going directly to www.goodhealthcandle.com. The link is going to be in the episode description. So if you want to find a way to support the podcast while also giving a loved one a gift of a lovely scented soy candle, then please buy a candle from us and support what we're doing here. Now grab your warm drink and let's get to the episode. Hi, Dr. Paul. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Thank you very much for coming. Please introduce yourself to the audience. Thank you so much, Nikita. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited, actually. I have a master's and an undergrad degree in nutrition, and I have a PhD in public health, specializing in health promotion and community health. I'm the owner and CEO of Health Savvy Consulting, LLC, and I really specialize in helping people to create a positive relationship with food. I'm originally from Guyana, South America, and a fun fact about me is that I speak two languages and I like to modify recipes. I like to create recipes. I'm a teacher. I'm a parent, a wife, and I teach in the classroom and the community. And I really like to work with people to just to help them to improve their quality of life also. In my spare time, I am the chairperson of the health committee of the NAACP in Worcester, Ohio, where I live. And I also work with food pantries when I have time to talk about the importance of using the food that people get and eating a balanced meal. So that's me in a nutshell. You sound busy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What is this? What is the second language that you speak? I speak Portuguese. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Yes, I speak fluent Portuguese. And in my spare time, I watch soaps, Brazilian soaps, just to keep up with the language. Can you tell us why or how you got interested in nutrition? Yes. My mom was diagnosed with high blood pressure when I was a a kid uh, in high school. And, you know, she was always the go-to person in the village. Everybody would go to her for advice. And 
And so I remember her struggling with the side effects of the meds. And I thought if she was having these issues, what were the other people having if they had problems? And, you know, in talking with people, I found out that, yes, they had high blood pressure. Yes, they had diabetes. And they also struggled with what to eat, how, what's the best thing to eat. And my mom changed the way we ate by just planting a kitchen garden and eating healthy food, throwing out salt and that kind of thing. And so I said, okay, I want to help people. I really want to work in communities to help them. Because people thought that having uh, living with a chronic disease was a burden. Mm-hmm. And it was a burden that they could not deal with. And so my thing was, I want to teach people that it may be a burden to them, but it's easy to live with if, you know, they follow guidelines. So that got me into nutrition. And then I married nutrition and public health because, you know, in dealing with nutrition, you're dealing with chronic diseases. And so that's the now public health issue. So I just married the two after getting into nutrition. Oh, that's fabulous. Uh, there's so much, so many directions I want to go in. So <laughs> let's get started. You said that you want to help people have a positive relationship with food. What does it mean to have a positive relationship with food? Having a positive relationship with food means eating and not seeing food as the enemy. The first thing I've heard people say is, oh my gosh, I have to stop eating this. I have to stop eating this. Well, I had better stop eating. And so (laughs) my job What I like to do is show them that, no, the food is not your enemy. Food is your friend. But food can only become your friend if you understand the benefits of food, the benefits of the nutrients in that food. So when I say positive relationship, it really, really means understanding that food is there to help you. And it's not a matter of restricting or cutting food off totally. It's just that you have to now understand that food helps you. Because what I found over the years is that people would tell me, okay, I was diagnosed with diabetes. And so I can't eat sugar. I can't eat fruits. I can't eat carbs. I can't eat rice. Like with with, with us, we're from Guyana, right? And Guyanese would love their roti and the rice. And then all of a sudden I would hear, oh, so I can't eat roti. I can't eat rice. I can only eat vegetables and and, and lots of meat. And I'm like, no. So there is where certain foods now become the enemy. So Mm -hmm. my job is to make sure that you know that all foods are good. It's just that we have to learn two words, balance and moderation. And that's another thing that helps in the positive relationship with food. In developing a positive relationship with food, when you bring in the words balance and moderation, it now makes sense that, okay, I can eat this, but I cannot overdo. Mm -hmm. I like that. And I guess that goes back to also what you were saying about letting your diet or the food you eat not be a burden, not thinking, oh, I'm dreading this now. I have to eat kale. I don't want to eat kale. (laughs) How does one go about developing a healthy relationship with food? Seeking professional advice and trusting the science. And when I say that, there's a lot of information all over the internet. Some of it is correct. 
some of it is questionable. Some of it is downright not true, not scientifically based. And so what we have to do is start looking to see who wrote that article. What are the sources? Where did they get that information from? Who is the dietitian or nutritionist or public health specialist in my area? Who can I contact? Because I have questions. Because that way, you then start off with an authentic person, an authentic professional, and not somebody who has just read something on Facebook or some other social media sites, and then they think, okay, that's okay, so I can now spread that. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is we have to realize that food is our fuel. Food provides us with fuel. Without food, our cells would not be able to carry out their functions and we would not be able to work. So if we see food as fuel to our bodies, that's another step. It's like the car. You can't run a car on water. We can't run without food. So food now has to become a necessity. It's necessary for us to do our jobs. And then another thing, for you to develop a positive relationship with food is that food helps you to be healthy so that you can work to provide for your family. So once you start to relate food to everything else that matters, that's the beginning of a positive relationship. Oh, I love that. Once you start to relate food to everything else that matters. Yes. Well, you know, it's funny. One of the things you said was trust the science. But sometimes it seems like there's conflicting information, not necessarily from my neighbor on Facebook, but from the very scientists that we're supposed to be trusting. So how can you figure out what's right or what to eat? You know, oh, they say wine is good for you. It helps your heart. But then they also say, well, you know, alcohol is bad. <laughs> they say, oh, try this diet or that diet. How do you know what to do? You know, that's a good question. I got that question last week. So one of the things I, I normally would tell people is talk to a professional because sometimes different professionals interpret scientific information differently. Now, the biggest confusion I've heard people talk about is this one message that is supposed to be for everyone, like a one size fits all. And I think that is where some of the confusion comes. And so for me, I would tell people, ask, talk to a professional and ask them, okay, wine is good for me, but I'm taking medication. Is it good for me? So the professional will help you. And then a question I tell my clients to ask, what are you using the food for? Because if you're drinking wine to get any antioxidants from the wine, I'm not sure that that's the best use of the wine. Mm -hmm. And so the, the best thing is ask a professional, but then ask yourself, what am I getting? What am I using this to get? Like, you know, the dark chocolate, everybody, oh, dark chocolate is good for your heart. How much of it do you have to eat to get that benefit? And there is where I say, talk to a professional. And, you know, one of the things that helps to clear that confusion is talking to somebody who would tell you, who would help you 
as to what to ask your doctor. Because a lot of times people have the same question you're asking, but they're like, I don't know what to ask. Well, just say, I'm on medication. Can I drink that glass of wine still? You know, I have a heart condition. Should I eat the chocolate and not take my medication? Those are questions that need to be asked, but ask a professional. Because yes, we have the one size fits all messages and they're not always for everyone. That's fantastic. What, how would you define a healthy or balanced plate? Okay, a balanced plate should have foods from all the food groups, have a variety, should be colorful. Meaning you, if you have foods from each food group, yes, you will have a rainbow of colors on your plate. Having a balanced plate involves knowing how many calories you're supposed to eat, knowing how much food you're supposed to eat. And you can do that by going to a professional or the CDC has tools that you can use to calculate. You also have Choose My Plate, which is an excellent tool that you can use to help you balance your plate. If you're from the Caribbean, you can still use your dietary guidelines and use the image for their dietary guidelines. And just make sure that half of your plate is fruits and vegetables, then one fourth is grains, and then one fourth would be protein. And then you have your dairy. If you cannot use dairy, you use your dairy substitutes. Now, the biggest thing is how much. Mm-hmm. And there are guides to tell you that a piece of the meat you use should, should look like the palm of your hand. And, and your bagel, you could do a half of a bagel. That's enough. And in addition to how much, a lot of people have this misconception that protein is good for you, so you need to eat extra. And there's this misconception that protein... If we eat extra, the extra goes here. And that's not true. It's not, it doesn't build muscle. And so it goes back to balance and moderation. Protein, you're only supposed to eat 0.8 grams per kilo of body weight. So find out your weight in kilos and you multiply it by 0.8 grams. That's for somebody who does not have any underlying conditions. Other than that, they need to talk with a dietitian who can work that out. But I touch on protein because a lot of times we don't realize that most of the meat comes accompanied with fat. So when we overdo on protein, inadvertently we're overdoing on fat. And there is where balance and moderation comes in. So even though a quarter of your plate should be protein, it should be healthy and lean protein. You can do meat, you can do fish, eggs, if you people are vegetarians, they can use the, um, the vegetable protein and you could get vegetable protein from beans and peas. But the bottom line is for you to have a healthy plate, you have to know how much is enough for you. And that comes with choose my plate and you've got other um, tools that can be used. That's really helpful. And I, I even like that you touched on the protein thing because you see it all the time. Protein powder, protein this, protein bar. I think we have enough. <laughs> yes, yes. And you know, it's protein is considered a macronutrient like carbohydrates and fat, meaning that those three provide us with calories. The carbohydrates we eat, their main job is to provide us with energy. Then comes fat. 
and then comes protein because each one of those macronutrients has their specific job to do. So when we consume excess protein, the excess has to go somewhere and the body will store it as fat. I had a client who was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and she was saying that, you know, she stopped eating a whole set of foods. She stopped eating bread, white rice, and she was told that she could only eat brown rice, but she couldn't eat fruits. And she just decided that she was just going to cut out all the carbs because somebody else told her that if she eats protein, she's going to be fine. So I, I got to telling her, carbohydrates, when they're broken down, provide us with the, their, their um, end product of carbohydrate breakdown is glucose. Our blood and our brain prefer glucose as the source of energy. They use it better. Now, when you're diabetic, you need energy. And if you reduce your carbohydrates, what will happen is that the body will start to burn fat and protein because the body needs energy. The brain, the rest of the, the body has to do its job. The brain doesn't like fat as energy because when we break down fat, when fat is metabolized, we get ketones mm -hmm. as the byproduct. The, the blood and the brain, they, they're not fond of ketones. They build up in the blood and they cause other complications. And, and so an easy way for us to understand how, how to get a balanced plate is let's think about you're at work. Five people at work are supposed to do something, but only three people show up. So three people have to do the job of five people. It therefore means that somebody's job is going to be left half done or even undone, just like the food. If you stop eating carbohydrates, protein and fat now have to pitch in to provide energy. And so something from their job will be left. And that is why you have to make sure you get foods from all the food groups. And here is another thing. Even though carbohydrates, proteins, and fat provide us with energy and the vitamins and minerals and water do not, for energy to produce, we need the vitamins, minerals, and water. They play a role in that process. And so if we do not eat a balanced diet, we still are not doing anything much because the process of extracting the energy from the, the carbohydrate, protein, and fat it's not going to be properly done. That's a fantastic analogy. I've never heard it quite that way before. Imagine you need five people for a job and only three show up. That's a great visual. You, you started broaching these different diets. So do you have a view on what is the best diet? You say we must eat a balanced diet and everybody has an opinion. Oh, I'm eating paleo, vegan, keto, Mediterranean, and <laughs> the list goes on. <laughs> How does one know which one is good for them? The word diet has been abused and misused so much that I tell my clients, eat a diet or follow a pattern that you can sustain for the rest of your life. Because many diets are not sustainable. And so if you can go on an eating plan, have a plan that can last you for the rest of your life, 
do that. So it's a lifestyle. I don't like the term diet anymore because it's misused and abused. So I would tell people, adopt a healthy lifestyle. What does that mean? Find foods and eating patterns that you can sustain, that your pocket can sustain. Because a lot of times, some of these diets become expensive. And again, get to somebody who knows what they're doing so that they can work something out with you. Find a professional who can tell you, look, you need to have a lifestyle. And here is another tip. In choosing your diet, make a list of all the foods you eat. Talk to your professional and let that professional tell you, okay, these foods are good, but maybe we need to improve on this food group. Because I know there are some diets out there that would reduce on one um, nutrient and increase on another. And that does not teach balance, neither does it teach moderation. And there again, for me, with the word diet, that word has had some of my clients have a very negative relationship with food because they will tell you, I don't want to try another diet, <laughs> right? And so for me, choose a healthy lifestyle. That's something that's sustainable. Do not bow to peer pressure or do not bow to, to what's in. Oh, this diet is in. I'm going to try it because it might not be suitable for you. One size does not fit all when it comes to health and nutrition. Love it. You've been stressing. We all should know by this stage that what you eat is very important. Are there ways that you can actually tell that your diet might be having a negative effect on you? You know, yes, you can if you know your body. And this takes me back to a healthy lifestyle. One of the first steps to leading a healthy lifestyle is being in tune with your body. So you know that when I eat certain foods, they make me feel sick. But if you're not in tune with your body, you wouldn't know. Most foods should make you feel good. But then if you have allergies, if you know your body, you'll know, okay, this makes my lip tingle. It makes my skin itch. Okay, I'm not, I have to watch this food. So it's a matter of being in tune with your body first and then looking for signs of adverse effects. Because really and truly, most food is supposed to make us happy, make us feel good. But then, yes, there are certain foods that we can be allergic to, like, you know, the protein in certain foods can be um, cause allergies. But that's the only way that I know of is knowing, just being in tune with your body. Most foods are supposed to make us feel good. I like that. But yeah. then I automatically think of like candy. And I don't know <laughs> if it's true or not, but you know, people say, oh, if, if, if I give the kids candy, they're going to be hyper. Or when I eat too much sugar, I feel slow. I have not seen any scientific evidence to, to, to support that. Candy and extra sugar makes kids hyper. Mm. I'm still looking because, okay, I've got a, a three-year-old grandson that if he gets candy from anyone, oh, he jumps all over the house all day, all night. And I'm like, okay, what did you have? So <laughs> I'm still checking to see 
the scientific evidence, but so far I've not seen any scientific evidence that says that too much of sugar makes kids hyper. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I know that having excess glucose can pose a problem if the, the our organs are not functioning properly. But I've heard people say that they feel sluggish if they eat too much of sugar. Mm-hmm. And that's it. But I would not be able to say why. Are there any myths and misconceptions related to nutrition that you would like to dispel? Stuff that you hear that makes you think, where are people getting this? <laughs> yes. I, I dispelled a myth the other day. Oh, when you, I, this, this person has diabetes and she's like, you know, I'm not eating any fruits. All I'll do is eat brown rice and whole wheat bread. And I'm not eating white bread. And I said, guess what? It's just balance and moderation. Because if you cannot afford the whole wheat bread and there's only money in your pocket for the refined bread, the white bread, just moderate. Talk to a professional. Another one is the protein one. Excess protein gives you extra muscles. No, it does not. The Another myth that I've heard is, and this one is dangerous. If you want to lose weight, just take laxatives. No. Mm. If you take laxatives, they will prevent nutrients from being absorbed. So taking laxatives over a long period of time can make you end up being undernourished. To lose weight, don't take laxatives. Please find a professional who can guide you. The other misconception is about liquids and, and water. Some people would tell me, oh, I don't need water. If I drink tea, I get water. You still need water. We need about 11 cups of water a day or 11 cups of fluid per day, which most of it should be water. Okay. Trying to remember. Oh, this one. There's this myth about good fats and bad fats. Mm -hmm. I don't like the word good and bad. I prefer efficient and less efficient. But... We know that our plant oils are healthier for us. They're, you know, they're more efficient for our body. But there's this myth that if because the plant oils are good, we can overdo. So if the recipe said, you know, you can use, let's say you're making a salad dressing and it said you can use four tablespoons of, of butter. And you decide, no, I don't want to use the liquid butter. I'm going to use olive oil. I can use eight. No, because one gram of fat, regardless of if it came from the animal, regardless of if it's healthy or good or bad, provides nine calories. So no matter what, even if you use the healthy fat, the recipe calls for four spoons. Don't use more. Because you're still going to be adding on the calories. And then that good fat now is is going to become what we say bad because it's going to be doing the same clogging because you're overdoing. Another myth is that salt, you know, all the other salts are healthy. If the doctor said, no, reduce your salt, you can use, we call it the magic. Salt or Himalayan Mm -hmm. salt. Uh Salt is salt. Salt is salt. Just like fat is fat, salt is salt. So if your doctor says reduce the salt, please reduce the salt. Use Mrs. Dash, use fresh herbs and seasonings. If the doctor says you have high cholesterol, 
you have to watch the amount and type of fat you use. It's not that you're not going to say, okay, olive oil is good. It's going to help me. No. So those are some of the, the myths that, you know, I, I get a little upset because I would hear people saying, oh, you know what? I stopped using um, canola oil. All I'm using now is, is olive oil. And you know what? You can use a little more. No, you can't. Yeah. And I once heard somebody say, oh, I don't use salt. I only use seasoning salt. <laughs> And I, I said, have you read the label on the seasoning salt? The first ingredient is salt. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes, it's it's a big misconception. I remember um, when my husband was diagnosed with, with a heart condition, somebody said, oh, you can use this coarse salt. It's better. No, it's not. It's the same salt. Mm-hmm. And another thing, people think that if you cannot use salt, it's okay to use the Maggie cubes. Yes. It's, it's still salt. It's still salt. Mm-hmm. I remember years ago, I had a client. She was like, you'd be proud of me. I stopped using salt and I'm using Maggie cubes. I'm like, nope, <laughs> it's the same salt. So yeah. Are there any tips in general that one can use or apply when deciding what to eat? Yep. First of all, what you can afford. Second, is it fresh? Third, do I have a plan mm-hmm. for the week? That helps because if you cannot afford, it means that now you have to sit down and figure out what you can afford. If you can't afford the food that's being sold, are you able to look for help at a food pantry to help to supplement that? Because a lot of times what I found is that clients would tell me, look, I don't have food. I, my food doesn't last for the month and I don't know where to go. And another tip is learn to use recipes that could help. Because a lot of times your pantry is filled with food, but people don't know how to cook the food in the pantry. And so that food stays there. So find recipes that you can use. I like that. And if you have food in your pantry that you don't know how to use, what do you recommend? Simply Googling recipes that use canned peas. Yep. Yes. Or I, I have on my website, I have a few recipes. They can visit healthsavvyconsultingllc.com. Mm-hmm. And I have a few recipes that they can use. And they can also just Google recipes that use canned corn. <laughs> it would help. And I'm glad you touched on affordability. And when you said that, the thing that went to my mind straight away was you know, McDonald's or some other places are quite affordable. You have the dollar menu there. It's almost impossible to beat a dollar menu, I would imagine. So what can someone do who feels like, I don't really have the time to cook. It's going to take me forever. A simpler solution, maybe an even more affordable solution would be to just run to the store. What are quick ideas for when you feel like you don't have the time? Plan. Mm-hmm. That's the key. Planning meals for the week and planning the meals for the week with stuff that is already there in your pantry. And just prep, pre-prep. Do a prep like, okay, Saturday or Sunday, you prepare food and make sure it's properly stored. But planning and preparing beforehand, making sure you follow all the food safety guidelines, that, that is key. Yes, you know, sometimes the McDonald's is 
pretty cheap. But I, I work with clients and I try to show them that, yes, a burger is a dollar, fries are a dollar, and then a bottle of soda, a cup of soda is another dollar, three dollars and how many cents. But then a pack of baby carrots, sometimes it's 85 cents, most a dollar. And you'll get maybe two meals, depending on the size of the family. Mm-hmm. So you could do use that. A tin of corn, it's 50 something cents. And so there you have two ingredients for uh, a veggie medley. And you may not be able to afford bread, beef or meat. Egg is a lovely form of protein. And so you can make a veggie medley with eggs. So it's just a matter of understanding that those that $3 and how many cents looks cheap, but then that's just one meal. Whereas you take those $3 and some cents and you can get more than one meal. You can buy a can of pineapple, crushed pineapple, and you blend it up with a little bit of water. It's already sweet. You've got some drink. You make some beverage. So that's easy. I mean, I know my, my clients would say, yes, it sounds easy, right? Because you do it a lot. But it's, it's cheaper. In the long run, it's going to be cheaper because how many cheap meals do you have to buy for a day? Mm. Most likely three. So that's three, six, nine, almost $10. $10 that you spend in a day, and that's on the least expensive side. Those $10 can give you food for almost a week mm-hmm. if it's properly planned. Wow. I love the way you broke that down. That really does make a lot of sense. <laughs> I'm smiling about the properly planned because I did have a phase where I was like, yes, yes, I'm going to try meal planning (laughs) for the week. And I feel like it took over my whole Sunday. It took many, many hours. So I suspect I wasn't doing it right. Yeah. (laughs) The people on the internet say it's not supposed to take you all day. No, it's not. It's not. And you know, that's one of the things I do with clients. I work with them to show them, okay, let's plan for the week. And it's not supposed to take you a day. <laughs> yeah. One of the things you've said many times was see a professional, find somebody who knows what they're doing. What criteria should I use to make sure that I find somebody who knows what they're doing? How do you assess that this person is a good person? Credentials, experience, those two. You can look for a registered dietitian, a nutritionist. You have nutritionists who work uh, with food pantries and supermarkets. They can help you. You can talk to the nutritionists at the hospital, at WIC. Extension educators from universities, Mm -hmm. they would be experts also. What is an extension educator? Um, Family and consumer science extension educators, they normally would go around to teach the community various strategies to help to improve their lifestyle. And so you would have nutritionists as extension educators. They would be a good resource because they would provide you with recipes and different tools to help. Having flashbacks to the the one nutrition course I took, (laughs) and I remember the professor used to say something like, After a while, or maybe depending on if you take supplements, 
at some stage, you're just making very expensive urine. How do you know whether you need to do a supplement or not? You see the name? Supplement. (laughs) So we take supplements to make up for whatever nutrients we may not be getting from our diet. A doctor is supposed to help with that. You need to have a doctor do the necessary blood work and tell you. A lot of times people take supplements because they think, we think that, oh my, I don't think I'm getting enough nutrients. So I'm going to take a supplement. And the person was right. You're just making ex- expensive mm-hmm. urine and, and feces because yes, yeah. it, it just does not work like that. So here's an example. People who live in areas where vitamin, we don't get enough sun, mm-hmm. more than likely they need vitamin D supplements, but you cannot take a supplement without getting your doctor's blessing because some supplements can become toxic if you take too many. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then they will have the adverse effect. You know, they're supposed to help to build strong bones and help to keep your head. They can get you sick. Mm -hmm. So the best thing is to Find out from your doctor. And most of the nutrients, if we cook our food properly, we will get most of them. And that brings me to our veggies. We're not supposed to kill them. I I normally would tell my students, I wish we could have charged people for veggie side because everybody would have been charged. (laughs) Because if we cook our vegetables properly, we will preserve the nutrients in them and get them. We're not supposed to boil the, the spinach in a whole lot of water and then strain that water off because we just threw out some of the nutrients. Mm-hmm. So the key is just making sure that you get good advice from your doctor with regards to supplements. Let the doctor tell you because you don't want to, to have toxic levels of that nutrient in your system. As we come to the end, Dr. Paul, do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to share? You know, I just want to say I am glad that I was um, asked to be on this podcast. And I would like to end encourage people to visit my website at healthsavvyconsultingllc.com and let us talk about creating a positive relationship with food. Also, I'm a podcaster and I would encourage people to listen to my podcast because having a positive relationship with, with food will also improve your productivity at work. If you're in school, it would improve the productivity at school also. Well, thank you so very much for coming to the Good Health Cafe, Dr. Paul. It was an absolute honor and pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode and learned some tips that can help you to have a healthy relationship with food. Dr. Paul gave some really good tips. Stuff I heard her say often or themes that really came through were balance and moderation and working with someone who knows what they're doing. I really appreciated her tips on choosing food that you can afford, that's fresh, and ensuring that you have a plan for the week. The link to her website is in the show notes, healthsavvyconsultingllc.com. So feel free to check out her website and her work. And I also encourage you, as usual, to please share this episode with a friend 
And please sign up for the Good Health Cafe mailing list. The link to sign up for our mailing list is in the show notes, but you can also find it at www.thegoodhealthcafe.com. Until next time, see you in the cafe later. Bye.